So if you ever go out to the Rangers games, or I think the Dallas Stars have them too, there's these kiosks where they promise you a free vacation. And all you have to do is sign up and then you get a free vacation. And then they're trying to sell you a rental and blah, 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 blah. And I like have Googled them and they're, they're basically a scam. And I'm sure maybe one out of 100 people, it works out well for them, which is how they're able to keep going. But it drives me a little bit crazy because I feel like it's incredibly unjust that they're out there taking advantage of people just trying to go to a ball game with their kids. So what I like to do is I like to <laughs> engage with the people and then like very loudly ask questions that I know they cannot answer and then like very loudly try to like hint to people that, hey, this is not a good thing. But I think probably an outsider is like, man, that woman's just being loud and maybe a little bit of a jerk <laughs> and maybe antagonistic to a guy who's just trying to make a fair wage. But as an eight, I'm like, no, there's an injustice happening. And so it's my job to warn the people by very loudly and maybe rudely accosting these people who are, you know, trying to do their job. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, and so I'm sure my picture is posted somewhere and they've got like a bolo out for me. And they're like, do not engage this woman. Do not the, ask her. <laughs> the blacklist. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I think the way sometimes I get misunderstood is that I have a need for controlling things. Really, I have a need for a certain amount of freedom, but also um, I need to protect. And um, sometimes that, that need to protect comes across as mistrusting people. I'll give you an example. Um, my youngest daughter was, uh, she graduated from high school in the summer and she was working here. And um, one of her, her guy friends said, I want to meet you at a bookstore. So she called me after work and said, I'm going to meet this guy friend at a bookstore. And I said, where? And then what time? <laughs> and then where are you going next? And then she said, dad, I'm not 12, you know? Um, and I kept prodding and prodding and prodding until basically she said, oh, what, what I'm hearing is that you need to be in control, but that's not what you're saying. You need to know that I'm going to be protected. Right, dad? And I said, yeah. Yeah. And she said, dad, it's me, Molly. And my Molly's kind of a, she's kind of a badass and very aware. <clears throat> I said, thank you, honey. So I just need to know that you're going to be fine and that you trust this guy. She said, he's just a friend. This is not a date. And I said, thank you. So I think um, when people understand my need to protect, sometimes it could come across as something more than protection. Mm, yeah. yeah, It could come across as something like, well, who do you think you are? Or you don't think I'm competent. Or you don't think yeah, I'm competent. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what she realizes, like, oh, it's not about that. It's not about her not being competent. It's really about both a strength and a, a wound. And the wound is, I feel this need even though I don't want it. And it can come across as being unhelpful and counterproductive. And the gift is that we really can't protect people to some degree. I can, at least I think I can. Um, but that's not because I think I'm stronger. It's just or bigger, it's just because I'll step in. Welcome to Story Shape Life, a podcast where we try to help make sense of the stories we believe about ourselves, others, and the world we live in. We're your hosts, Ben and Sam. This season, we're focusing on the Enneagram, a popular tool for understanding the way we view the world and the strategies we use to interact with it. Join us today as we talk about Enneagram Type 8. So welcome to our episode. We are talking about Enneagram Type 8s today. Um, so this one should be a lot of fun. Uh, and I am very excited 
in a lot of ways, but one of the conversations that's come up a lot is talking about culture. And I think talking culture with type eights is going to be really interesting. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but <laughs> just wanted to say that. Yeah. But um, to I start think us, we're, we're touching on one of the least understood, most misunderstood types. Yes, on the Enneagram. definitely. So it'll be interesting. definitely. So to start us off, do you want to share with them the name we've given them? Uh, no, we need them to introduce themselves. Oh, you're right. <laughs> we usually don't need an introduction. We have two so, people, but yeah. we're not letting them say yes. anything about Okay, themselves. so could y'all share just three things about yourself for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, Yeah, sure. My name is Nika Spalding, and I am a diehard Sooner fan. I think being an aunt is the greatest gift that God's ever given me, and... I really enjoy talking about how much I love cats because it really drives people crazy in Dallas. So those are probably three things that would be helpful for folks. Awesome. I'm Martin. Nike and I work together. We're um, pastoral staff together here at a church plant in Oak Cliff, Dallas. And um, I'm a grandpa. I got five kids. I love living in Oak Cliff. And I really love what God is doing in our in our church plant. Love working with Nika. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. So yeah, so the name that we have for uh, type eights, we've given a name to every type different from kind of the stereotype one-shot wonders that exist out there. Yeah. Based on um, every type's core awareness or core motivation and their social strategy. And that's it. That's kind of how we pared it down. So the type eights are the active influence seekers. So active being your social strategy, and influence being uh, your core awareness or core motivation. And type eights share the active social strategy with type threes and type sevens. Mm. And it's this idea of creating your own opportunities. So you're active in creating opportunities in your environment versus receptive that's looking for opportunities that already exist to ping off of or reserved that kind of have their own opportunities close to their chest and they're they're mindful of who might take them away or how, mm-hmm. how they might lose them. And all three, are, we've said this before, are all perfectly healthy human responses to different situations. We just all tend to lean on one over the other. So our first question for you guys is, how have you seen this kind of active social strategy, this creating of your own opportunities work out for you guys in um, one-on-one relationships? Um, that's so interesting because I like how you're framing it very positively because I'm thinking about in, so in one-on-one settings, I, I think most eights kind of know they're always the boss when they walk in the room, which is really interesting that both Martin and I are eights and we co-share this church. Really, he's the boss, but he lets me feel like I am too. And, um, so I'm really glad you're framing this positively because in a one-on-one setting, I often do dictate the pace, the tempo, and even the activities. And now I'm like, yeah, because a lot of my friends are not in the three, seven, eight active triad, so to speak. So my mm-hmm. seven friends are, and they're a good time. And when mm-hmm. they're around, I very much let them sort of pick because I really am happy. I'm just not happy if I feel like someone else is trying to control me. Mm-hmm. And so so that being said, I think the positive spin on that is I feel like I'm pretty good uh, as a pastor. I've grown to see what people need around me. I wouldn't say I'm naturally good at that, but because I'm a pastor and I've had to be that way— um, Where that's helpful in a one-on-one is I can tell usually pretty quickly, or I'll figure it out after I've definitely made a misstep, of what people need around me. And so if I'm hanging out and I can tell someone's burden, then I can dictate that we're going to talk about that. Or if I'm hanging out with somebody and I can tell they just need a good time, then I'm very much going to create a good time out of thin air. And so 
I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think eights just tend to create whatever atmosphere they feel like they want and hopefully healthy eights then create the atmosphere that, that the person with them needs. And I think that was maybe something I've grown in over the years. Not that I do it perfectly. Certainly there are times that I maybe just ignore that and I'm like, this is what we're doing. For example, I made a girlfriend of mine watch three hours of OU softball the other day, even though she doesn't care about it at all. <laughs> and I made her listen to every fact I knew about it, which is more than any human should know. And so not my best moment, but hopefully she enjoys OU softball now. She's never going to watch it ever again. But right. That's all right. It's so funny when Nike began to answer that question about, I'm so glad you phrased that, that positively. I was thinking the very same thing. That's how you know we're both eights. Because mm-hmm. eights are often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, as we grow up, not grow older, but if we grow up a little bit and mature, we really don't care that we're misunderstood. Yeah. So we we used to be always correcting people to say, but I'm really not like that. And after all, it's like, ah, because eights, we're really good about not caring about what people think about us. And so we're used to being misunderstood. And so when people see this as a positive influence, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us sad. It just kind of surprises us like, oh, well. Okay. Yeah, we are. We are active, but we're not mean people. We're just actively yeah. seeking how to get good stuff done. I, see, I'm old. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's something that has been fun about this podcast in general is is catching the ways that people misperceive each other because of different worldviews. And so, like Samuel and I are both part of the reserve group, right? Fours, fives, and nines. And the you know when you hear reserved, you hear oh somebody that's cut off or like keeps people at a distance. It's mm. like, no, I just know what I have and I'm not going to give it up to just anybody. But that can be a really positive thing because there's a lot of people that don't have good boundaries, right? So so we've, so we've I think it's yeah. fun to hear that that idea and hopefully that's an encouragement to other eights that, yeah, being active is not a negative thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether that's sevens, uh, threes, or eights, that, that there's a piece of that that every human being, especially for somebody like myself, like a, a, who's a five on the Enneagram, that we need to learn and we need to, yeah. to be able to take the reins on. Um, but yeah, but our question is, how have you seen that work out? Can you give us an example of like ways that, that you watch yourself be active? Yes, I think when, when, when I look at an opportunity, I look at, for example, with, with a church plant or with what we've done, I look at how it's done, been done before and what are the normal routes to take. But then I also think there's different ways of doing it. And so eights tend to, and I think sevens can be this way too. I have friends that are sevens that given two options, they'll take three of them. but very often the the route that we'll take it's not that we want to defy something it's just that we see an opening that's not been used but it's within the bounds it's within the bounds of what's healthy and good it's not being underhanded it's just not been it's not been fused with another idea but i would add to you martin you're so right sometimes it is outside the bounds of what everybody else thinks are bounds but we also recognize when there's artificial boundaries that you're very quick to be like no that's that's not a real boundary even though so a lot of people in the room might go, no, no, there's the fence. And Martin's like, that's not a real fence. And so it takes sometimes Martin just walking through the fence to show people we're going to set a new boundary line. Because I do think you do that really well. For example, when, when we planted the church here, when you plant a church, there's a lot of um, kind of conventional wisdom. You have to have a certain amount of people in your group. You have to meet at home for several months. I don't do that. We didn't do that here. I, I, I kind of think, okay, how do people get involved? At what level are they going to invite their friends? Do you have the right starting staff? If you do, in a good location, on your market set, go. One of the words that I want to highlight that I think was phrase, I guess, creating an atmosphere. Yeah. Because I think that's something that kind of 
goes under the table a lot isn't perceived as much, yeah. uh, especially in type eights. But the ability of of having that vision to create a whole picture and to create an atmosphere to where you can accomplish a goal. And I think that comes up in, in one-on-one relationships a lot, especially with, with a spouse, be it, or a family member, of being able to create an atmosphere for both of you yeah. that is beneficial. And sometimes that is perceived as controlling or yeah. is perceived as you know trying to be heavy-handed, but it, it's for the greater good of creating an atmosphere that's positive for both of you. Yeah, we got to have y'all follow us around and say these things to people. I love the positive <laughs> spin on all of this. I, I also like the image of somebody who who like tests illusions. That was kind of the the, the picture, like as you were talking about, like testing the fence. Like, is this mm-hmm. really yeah. where the border is? And it's like you're testing an illusion. Um, yeah, so I, and I that's, like that piece a lot. That's even, you showed it in your story. Mm, it's yeah. like, I right. know this thing is fake. Everybody, hey, yeah. this is fake. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's yeah. really important for this is a terrible idea. to know that. Because, yeah. <laughs> for example, actually, this is funny. For example, I've been at Starbucks before where I have sat next to somebody who is like in the middle of getting one of those pitches for like, hey, come join this one, that thing yeah, or the other. Like, yeah. And multiple times thought, I know seven different reasons why this is a bad idea right now because I've thought through it and I can process it quickly right now. But there's no way I'm going to <laughs> say anything to the stranger at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. that guy's life's going to suck from yeah. now on. Well, Versus, I hope you don't like money because right, you're about yeah. to lose it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Versus, I think... Oh, yeah. Uh, I would have been like, hey, bro. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need no, to walk no, no, away no, no. right now. Yeah. I don't know you, but get yeah, up. It true. doesn't do anything for them if I go home and tell my wife, yeah, this schmuck just, got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just gave up all his money to some random yeah. thing. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, on the flip side of that question, what are some ways that the active social strategy hasn't worked out? Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I mean, the positive spin is always, you know, sort of if you're a healthy eight. And I think the problem is, is you can, as an eight, one of the things that one of the qualities that we have is we speak very authoritatively. We do everything authoritatively. I mean, my friends joke that I sort of have a buzz that they can hear of the energy coming off of me. And so the downside of that is if I'm not in a good spot, I can definitely control a room just for my own peace of mind, not for the good of yeah. those around me. Um, and then the other side of that is we do miss things. I mean, and so there might be a time where I feel like what you need is my strength in that moment. And I'm loud and angry for you or I'm aggressive or I'm whatever. And then people are like, I just I just need you to comfort me. Like, like I get that you're angry. Your anger is not helping me. And so it's so painful as an eight. And I, I know every number, but it, because the amount of energy I brought in that mistake is like, oh, yeah. gosh. And mm-hmm. so like when I have to walk that back where I'm like, oh, I walked into the room and I hijacked the evening and I made it super fun for everybody, but did not realize that two people in the room were really hoping for an intentional evening and really hoping mm-hmm. for, you know, something sweeter. And I'm like, oh, I I ruined your night. And so there is definitely a, a different side of that. It, Nike just says something that's it's a sign of a healthy eight, which is that you're able to say, I'm sorry, or at least be willing and ready to say, I'm sorry. Mm, yeah. And because as eights, we're always sharing our opinion. They're always strong. And we're used to being wrong. And so, and we move on. We're like bloodhounds. We have a short memory. Like, yeah, I missed that one. Next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think what happens where, where I, where I, you met the question is, where have you not seen it work? Mm-hmm. Very often I'll give an opinion, but because of who I am and my track record, people will go with my opinion, but it may not be the best opinion of what to do next. Mm-hmm. And it backfires and people say, but you said this so strongly. I was talking about this the other and day. And I said, I know, but that's just the way I say things. It's just things. how I talk, so, yeah. I was wrong. We should have turned right. And I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're going to miss the whole event. Yeah. yeah. Let's go get a burger. You know, they say, well, <laughs> no, you screwed up the whole night. Because yeah. we all went, th- that was the right way. The quietest voice was the right way. And you right. silenced it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really sorry. All right. But you ruined it. I know. 
Yeah. 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 Next. That once in a lifetime Sorry. opportunity will come again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I start a lot of stories with, well, don't quote me on this. I'm not for sure. But then yeah, what yeah. follows is so strongly yeah. worded yeah. that Sounds... people will then start quoting me. I'm like, I told you I didn't know. Right. And they're like, well, then maybe don't say it like, you know, what follows. And I'm like, no, nope, you got to pay attention to the clues. If I I'm like, I specifically told you I was making this up on but, the spot. Yeah. And, and I'm after like, that, it's your problem. <laughs> yeah. And we do <laughs> yeah. that. Like yeah. we totally, we had a. We had a friend one time asked Martin and I we were all together in a room and he was like, why do y'all speak like, like, do y'all know everything? And Martin and I were like, no, yeah. we just act like we do. Yeah. And he was like, I don't understand y'all right now. He was a six and he was like, I don't, I could never speak that way. And we were like, yeah, well, it's not always got its upside. So yeah, yeah we haven't gotten into this. We've we like talked about the different uh, communication styles, but I think w- the most interesting, one of the most interesting communication styles is the type A and it's called Generally, it's called um, psychological warfare uh, <laughs> because there's this intensity that psychologically, right, like I think begins to to work a room and to like get people to like, hey, you, you have to make a decision. Either you're coming or you're going to have to forcefully like stand against. Yeah. And very few people are like, yeah, that's what I want to do with my night. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, this this keeps the, the word that keeps like popping in my head in terms of how other people respond to it, is the assumption. Mm-hmm. And so the assumption is, I cannot bring my opinion to the table. Yeah. I can't counteract their opinion. Yeah. Which is the what you guys have just said is the the wrong assumption. That's right. You want people to challenge because that's going to bring you to the best conclusion. But it's that sense of like, oh, they're so confident, so I can't challenge that. That kind of gets, it's where it kind of gets into to a frustrating point. And I do think what you guys are saying on the negative side or the or the challenging side is learning to know when to pull back on that. Yeah. At yeah. the same time, for everybody else in the room, it's learning, well, what's your piece in that? Like, you still have agency. You still have choice. It doesn't matter what the type eight in the room is saying. Are you going to walk away? Are you going to, like, say, give your own opinion, right? Like, just because eights are giving their opinion constantly and maybe you need to learn to like pull that back a bit, that doesn't change how everybody else needs to be learning to respond healthily for themselves. Nobody's making you do anything. Yeah, like, that's how we feel. But I think as pastors, we also have to like learn to, I think that's one of the things that working in tandem helps us to do mm-hmm. is like we can do that for each other really well to where if it feels like, oh gosh, like, hey, Mar, I don't think actually so-and-so thinks that's a good idea. I just don't think they're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Or, and then vice versa. Right. Hey, Nikes, I yeah. think you did that too strongly. That's kind of the gift that we both bring to St. Jude is that we're able to do that for each mm-hmm. other because most people are intimidated and we're their spiritual leaders. And so it's like yeah. Yeah. the double intimidation of yeah. we speak like we know what we're talking about and we're right a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, we're, especially Martin, like he's rarely wrong. And so when you're disagreeing with him, you're disagreeing with a guy who's often right, and he's sounds the like pastor he's of your right. soul. Yeah. yeah, and sounds like yeah. he's always right. And Martin's a lot more humble than I do. He's not. He does not speak even the volume. Like I know y'all are gonna have to turn mine down. His <laughs> up, which I think is uh, he's the eight that everybody aspires to be. He has learned to sort of dampen all that to make himself approachable. So I'm working on it. I'm gonna get there. Well, I wish I had Nike's voice though. That's the. I just don't project loud. I try. It it sounds uh, like I'm going through puberty at 59. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just I don't I, I'm just not a loud talker. But one th- I can't speak for all of it, but I can I think talk about how Nike and I have learned to the paradox of how we've learned to trust each other's gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eights like a posture of being against things. We know that, and we never assume that the most popular idea is the best. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Ever. But since Nike and I both know that and practice that, we are so vulnerable to each other's idea because we believe the paradox that 
not the most popular idea is the best idea. The best idea is the best idea. Mm. And um, I'm quoting a guy I read years ago. He said, great ideas have lonely childhoods because they, they switch the balance of power. Mm. Nike and I know that some great ideas are avoided because, not that it's not a good, good idea, but it switches the balance of power for people involved. And they're afraid of that idea because they're not sure their role in what follows up, which strikes us as selfish, which is an injustice. And if it's a great idea and it means that you're not part of it, too bad. Hmm. Yeah. And it's just it's just kind of an interesting yeah. paradox. If his spidey yeah. sense is fire, I really take that seriously mm-hmm. to where I'm just like, okay, yeah, because I've been that person where I'm like, guys, I cannot tell you why, but something is bothering me right now. And being right, but looking at people going, I, I just need someone to believe in me right now. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, justice is such a big thing for both of us in our ministries. And so because of that, oftentimes we do end up in the minority voice or in the minority opinion on things. And so having someone who shares that is a gift in ministry. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so the second half of the name that we have for type eights, you have active social, your social strategy. And the second half is ideal seeking. And that is this, um, as we've explained it, this awareness, core awareness, which kind of becomes a core motivation of the possibility in the individual story. So we each have an individual, a social and a universal narrative, but it's this awareness of the possibility in a person's individual narrative. And I think for type eights, what I'm hearing from you guys is this different from maybe type twos and fives, which is who you share that group with. It's uh, the possibility that maybe has been lost and and not always. I don't think uh, justice or injustice is the only thing that type eights care about, but there's an awareness of where has the individual story um, gone, gone backwards or where is it being challenged or kept back and who's doing that and how do I how do I re-engage the possibility in a person's personal narrative and get the injustice, the, the thing that's stopping them out of the way? I think that, and that's what makes you, the, again, the kind of this, and then active, that social strategy of choosing to get after it. Like, this isn't going to yeah. go away. These hindrances aren't just going to disappear. Yeah. Somebody's got to come in swinging and pull and, and either point it out as an illusion or get that real thing out of the way. Um, and I think it's just really interesting how you both have kind of talked in that language of, of a desire to be active not to take control, but to help get something else out of the way and and open up possibility for people. And now we get to the exciting part that I've been waiting for. But one conversation we like to open up a lot is the conversation of cultural expectations Mm. relating to the type that you are. So my question to y'all would be, how have you perceived an influence of cultural expectation in being a type eight as a man or as a woman? Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. So much to say about this, uh, especially being in. So I grew up in Oklahoma and now I'm in Texas and I'm very aware of the fact that this part of the world is very different than the coast. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. I grew up in a home where being a strong woman is really all we produce and we grow sensitive men and strong women. That's who we are. And that always seems so normal to me. And then I remember, you know, kind of growing up then in the evangelical world, which I was not a part of growing up. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And then entering into the evangelical world after my identity's really been formed, that strength as a woman, boldness, courage, um, all those all those things were celebrated in me early. So I'm very confident those are good things. And then entering into a space where uh, those are male qualities are the things I've been told or, hey, you know, meekness is really what men are looking for in a wife hey, if you were a little less than, you might have more people pursuing you. And then always in the context of marriage where I'm like, why do y'all think I will even want to be married? Like I'm single and you guys like are telling me how to be a better candidate for marriage. Like 
do you not want to just develop me as a human? Like, do you? So I would have these women who would ask to mentor me, but what they were hoping to do is make me uh, better wife material by asking me to be not who I am Mm. and not who I've always been celebrated being. And what's interesting is I'm seeing eights are having their day of reckoning as females, especially in the church, because Mm. we're seeing what happens in churches when you don't have women in leadership. We're seeing the sex scandals. We're seeing the injustice. We're seeing, I have often believed that you need an eight woman around you when there's moments of injustice, because I can tune into that soft part of me and care for the victims while also telling her there will be justice for the victimizers. Like we will go after them. Mm. And that is something that, culturally is still a little bit of a weird phenomenon in this part of the world but what i'm great like in martin he doesn't think it's weird at all like there's no slow down there's no hey you know what i'll have that conversation you just go ahead and hang out with the women and all that and so it's a very interesting thing but i think eight women are going to start to be the hottest commodity on the market soon because (laughs) we're going to need more of them in the world teaching young women how to be strong and courageous and bold and to fight for the little guy and that I hopefully think men will start to realize you actually need me in that fight. You cannot do it without me. Mm. Uh, And so I often tell men, I'm like, you're welcome. I've been holding down my front. I've been waiting for y'all. And so um, at the risk of ruining Avengers Endgame, but it's been enough time. I don't know when y'all are going to put this out there. I think we're fine. Hey, this is the part of the episode where we tell you there's about to be spoilers. Love it. (laughs) We're also recording this in the same studio as Two Chunks and a Hunk, so it feels very uh, very (laughs) good. Anyway, go ahead. Well, just that, the last one, the scene between Black Widow and oh, I forget his name, but they're fighting basically to decide who's going to lay down their life. And that, for me, was my absolute favorite part of the movie. Mm. Because I so identified with her in that moment. Mm. And we left the movie. I was there with three other girlfriends, none of which are eights. And I was like, that for me was the pivot. Like I was moved to tears watching that. Mm. And, um, and they knew cause they knew me well. They're like, yeah, like that's, that's who we think you are. Mm. And yeah. I just was like, yeah. And it's time for that to be okay. Yeah. And, um, and I really do think it is, uh, and being a true eight, I don't really care. So, I mean, there, I was always going to make space for myself, but I'm, I'm hopeful for the other eights who feel like they have to not be that, yeah. that they will learn and grow in their confidence of, no, the world actually needs us and they need all the numbers, but we don't have to not be strong in order to have our place in the world. Somebody's got to fight for the right to lay down mm. their life. Mm. One of the the phrases that I, I hate, and you, you actually mentioned specifically, is the phrase, you have to be less mm. of yeah. something. And I, not not saying that eights are the only victims of that. I think, you know, fours, you have to be less emotional. Yeah. Twos, you have to be less of a... Pushover. Or pushover, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So, so there's or sixes, you have to be less fearful. And yeah. it, it is so degrading to the the power and the the beauty of the fact that we are different and we play a role in that, in mm. our differences. And that is not under the constraints of gender by any means, yeah. you know? It's just under the constraints of the way we were designed yeah. and the way we were made to be. And I think that's the beauty of it. And that's why we have our role. I love that. It's interesting. So when when you say to someone like me or Nika, when culture puts these expectations on you, <laughs> it really doesn't hit us that hard because mm. we don't think about that that often. Um, we don't think about what culture, we think about what we expect and what people we love the most expect. Mm. And if it happens to match with cultural expectations... Okay, good. Mm. So we we tend to be influenced by a very small number of people. 
I think. Well, and Bob will push back on that because I do think women eights do because we don't have. So I would say oh, this. You're, is, thank you. Yeah, is because like you get to do and say things that I'm like, if I didn't said that, thank I'd you. be called yeah. a word that I shouldn't yeah. say on here, even though eights use that word all the time. You picked up on a word that I think is really important in this conversation about cultural expectations. And we've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. We have to be careful when we're talking about culture because culture is something that we all create. Yeah, so we, we don't villainize culture in the sense that, oh, those guys over there are telling me this. It's like, no, we are all telling each other this. So that's a little caveat for everybody listening. We all are participating in this, um, which is why these conversations are helpful because then we all get to pick how we're going to change that narrative. But you pick up on a word, you said honor earlier, and I think that's the linchpin of cultural expectations. What are the things that we honor that you as a type eight, as a male or female see that we shouldn't be, or we don't honor that we should be. So mm-hmm. like you were saying, Nika, we don't honor strong in the South. Yeah. We're, we're recording this in Dallas, Texas in the South, especially in an evangelical world. We do not honor strong women who have a desire to lay themselves down for the sake of someone else. So how do you see that, the, the honor dysfunction? Well, I think since I've been working closely with NICA for two years, what I realized before was what I thought was a gift of, of being an eight, which is we can help get things done and bring people together to a cause, was really a, a kind of a grant or a prerogative that I had. And I thought that I had earned this based by my talent or my gumption. Mm. It's really because, first and foremost, I'm a guy. Mm. I didn't have to deconstruct very much at all. I already had a foot in the room. Mm. I just had to construct and being with Nika, who reminds me of being with my uh, one of my favorite aunts and uh, my Croatian grandmother, who were, I think were both eights, they are constantly deconstructing gently your view of them and constructing at the same time. That is so exhausting. Mm-hmm. They're constantly seeing how people misunderstand them and in very small ways, reminding them and gently correcting them to say, this is, I'm probably not who you think I am. You might be prejudging me. So just walk with me a little longer and you'll see. Mm. I've done that in several situations just as a Christian in a non-Christian environment, but it's exhausting. And I realize as a male eight, I think that you asked me, what what have I learned as a a male eight? We already got a foot in the door. Mm. It's easier for us. We can just, we don't have to deconstruct anything. It's like, oh, good. It was was just, it goes from a blank slate to good. And Nika goes from a deficit (laughs) to then a blank slate, then to maybe good. And then to be good, she has to be about 50% better than most men just to get to the same level of good as men. And so it's just, it's been such an eye-opening experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the the divide between the the male and female is probably the widest for type eights, it seems, in terms of cultural expectations. Again, we're talking specifically about our context in the South. So I know that the U.S. is more diverse than that. So. Sure. And, right. and I, I can give you an example of how this plays out, that... People will look at me and say, there's a happy person who in many ways is strong, but they're a happy person. Mm. Nike is a very happy person. She really is. She, she loves life, loves God, loves people. But that's not what people may think of her if oh, they've I never met her before. I have a horrible first impression. <laughs> they think that she may be um, angry or bossy, Aggressive or, mm-hmm. but never happy. And, and I thought, she's one of the happiest people I know, but she has to deconstruct all these wrong notions of her wow. till people finally like, like you don't, you got it so wrong. And I yeah. thought she's not doing anything different than I am, mm. Yeah, mm. but she's not perceived as being a happy person. Thanks Mark. So strange. I think to that point too, I think one of the things about 
eight men, I think the things that the culture honors, they get stuff done, they're strong and all that. And I think the part that culture doesn't honor or they misunderstand, and again, our context, is their anger. Hmm. And I think that very few people understand the productive side of anger. And yeah. I see this as a theologian where people are very uncomfortable with the passages in Scripture where God is angry. And I'm like, that's those are some of my favorite passages because I'm like, there it is. You should be mad when mm-hmm. people are doing horrific things. Yep. And if God's yep. like, meh. Or, hey, guys, can everybody just calm down? Just everybody calm down. I know that was you bad, know, but like. Yeah, I know that was bad, but I'm going to kind of look the other way at that because I'm not, I just want to, you know, and I think that's one of the gifts that that Martin as a man, like his anger is one of those things that I teach people. I'm like, if you will watch the productivity of an eight's anger, it can be a really healthy thing. It, it tunes us to know what are the things that we should be mad about because mm-hmm. something should make us mad. And yep. I think that's one of the, the hopefully as people, you know, I, I think the Enneagram is such a gift because I think it's opening people up to realize like the things that scare them about other numbers are actually sometimes really healthy. Yep. So one of my best yep. friends and roommates is a two and she tends to actually back away from eights, which I think is hilarious because mm-hmm. her best friend's an eight. But I'm like, it's because you don't understand their anger. But once mm-hmm. you understand their anger, then you end up leaning in because then you're like, yeah, 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 you should be mad at that. And also I should be mad at yep. that. And that's one of the things that she's grown to love about Martin mm-hmm. is she's like, Martin doesn't get angry at just willy nilly things. Right. When he's angry, it's because it's righteous. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. it's, it's instructive to her. And so that's one of the gifts that Martin really brings that I think people don't see as gift early on that over time they learn to go, Oh, that made him mad. Okay. That's such a great distinction. I think righteous anger. We don't talk about that in local culture, I guess. Uh, There isn't that concept of, of there is a place for anger and anger is a, can be a positive tool. And it's wild because we like laugh at each other when we talk about, Oh yeah, I have like super bad road rage. Right. (laughs) Or I like get really angry because my football team lost. But then it's like, we know that this person like abused this somebody, somebody else. It's like, well, you know, you can't be angry. You have to like, you know, there are victims too. It's like, what? bull. Like yeah, what? The, yeah, exactly. We have such a distorted view of how yeah. anger works healthily in our society. Yeah. I think you're right. That's a, well, that's a big deal. I think people fail to realize until they've been really harmed what anger can be to a gift even to the victim. And so I've seen this. I've oh, seen yeah, my totally. friend, something horrible happens to them and I'm in, a, I'm in a home group. It's very interesting where every single woman is a different number and there's seven of us. And so we just have a couple of numbers not represented. Yeah. And like there are moments when literally the, some, somebody shares what happened and you'll see every face turn and look at me and I'll go, that was messed up. And you should be you should be upset, and I am upset for you. And you can see like there's even healing in that of like yeah. in that moment I'm able to show them a glimpse of how the Lord feels about that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that early on I would have probably been like, can she handle my anger right mm-hmm. now? And now I'm like, no, no. Everybody's looking at me going, should we be mad? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We should all burst into flames about this one. We've talked about doing a side series on emotions because i think that Mm. in its own self it's like something that we misunderstand in america but this idea of like the anger we worry about anger because we think that's our landing place like that's where we'll be for the rest of our life it's like no it is a means to something better if done healthily it gets us to a better place um and i I think you're right and some some people don't wield their anger well like there are plenty of people that i'm like i get it there's a reason why the bible warns about it and there's a reason why it's like keep it under control um, but that's why I think the gift of AIDS could be healthy AIDS is I'm like, no, no, no. Martin wields his anger very effectively. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't spill over in, in unintentional ways and harm. There's no collateral damage as he's, you know, matured in that. And that's, you know, goals for me, right? right. I mean, of like, mm-hmm. 
if you're paying attention to an eight and they're healthy, they are, their anger is very focused in on what it is that they're actually angry about. Like, I'm not kicking the dog because I'm mad about something else. Like, my dog is fine. I'm mad at this. And yeah. I can point blank tell you what it is and say, this makes me upset. Whereas I see twos sometimes just like rapid spray. Yes. So <laughs> I think that's a really important distinction because I will notice in a lot of other types, and I'll include myself in that, when I'm angry, it is a spread shot yeah. anger <laughs> because I'm not willing to admit this is what yeah. I'm angry at. Yeah. And I think one of the tools that you have to offer as eights is this is what we're angry at. This is specific. It's one thing. And we, it is righteous anger. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for this anger. And I think that helps a lot for, for us other types that sometimes kind of, sh- you know, shoot around and, and yeah. don't hit the target. of, of Or what... don't use it at all. I think one of the things that I've learned, especially being married to, to Emily, to a type two, that I take pride as a type five in basically having like 100% control of my emotions, quote unquote, supposedly, right? Yeah. Where it's like, well, I don't have to be angry right now. And she's like, you don't. But you should, yeah, right? Yeah. Like that's a, that, oh, a yeah. healthy response is actually to activate that mm-hmm. and make use of it. Uh, I I feel that a hundred percent. I'm like, no, this but I'm, reserved, I'm like this Zen. Yeah, like, reserve types are like, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel anything. <laughs> okay, well, when eights, when we're healthy, we we listen when we're angry. Yeah. We listen, yeah. and but there, there's listen. There's plenty of unrighteous rage with me, and you should know this is the the secrets out that when eights are unhealthy. We are reptilian. Mm. Yeah. We don't feel a thing. That's mm. why you want us in a fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really true. I, yeah. We'll go after people a lot bigger than us because we know at that moment we don't feel anything. Mm. We're like that guy in you know, Monty Python. You cut off our arm and we keep fighting. Keep fighting. Yeah. We don't care. And we have that look in our eye. Yeah. And people know it like, oh, they're not going to back down. Even if we, when, when eights are healthy, they listen well when they're angry. But when I'm, I'm not healthy, I don't listen well. And, and you will see... When you see my roll, eyes roll in the back of my head, you know I'm being a reptile. And reptiles it's time to get out of there. Well, reptiles are not known for their sense of humor. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't laugh a lot, and that's yeah. not that's not a good sign when an eight gets reptilian. But we are funding St. Jude. We are street fighters for hire. So Martin and I, no, <laughs> on the side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. There's a, there's a little teenage mutant ninja turtles in there somewhere. But yeah, uh, somewhere. Yeah. yeah, reptile, yeah. Anyway, but this is a good lead into our next question, which is uh, we have asked every type and trying to get away from the stereotypes and the names um, to let every type define what is the major human issue mm-hmm. that your type is just keenly aware of and you just focus in on? And then what superpower do you bring to the table? Yeah, I don't even need help. I know what it is for me. And that is the issue is injustice Mm -hmm. and we bring energy to it. And Mm -hmm. so what I'm noticing in the world, and especially there was a recent event in Dallas that was supposed to be working towards the goal of of racial justice. And it kind of, it was a conference and it got really messy. And what I have been telling people, I was like, gosh, you need an eight in that fight um, because we don't know how to quit. And it's the thing that keeps me up at night. And so, I mean, truly, injustice is the thing. It's the reason why I'm a minister. It's the reason why it's what jumps off of the pages of Scripture. It's the thing that stands out to me. And I don't know how to walk away to to the detriment of myself, but also to the gift of those around me. And so that's what I'd say is like, if you've been wronged, you need an eight in your corner. And if there's a huge social justice problem and it's going to take a long time you need an eight who's not going to quit even when things get hard or when people tell you you're on the wrong side or when 
you know, all the things that social justice is such one of those buzzwords right now. And I kind of hate it, but I don't really know a better way of talking about it. But that's what it is, is like Martin and I, and I, I'm not going to speak for you on what you think your words are, but I know that this, it bothers him. Like I, when he's like Nike, it's a justice issue. Once he says those words, I'm like, well, we're in this till it's over. Like, mm-hmm. okay. And so that's what I think Ines is energy to injustice. It would be real similar to Nike. I would say um, for me is that for those who are marginalized, uh, we will dive in and say, you belong. Mm-hmm. And come with us. And I think what's misunderstood about my personality, Nika's personality, we people think, oh, you go in there and you blow things up. What you don't realize is that we don't really blow things up most of the time. We're really bomb dismantlers. We will go into a danger zone and, and we will cut the red wire and then tell people, go ahead and touch the switch. It's not going to go off. That's what eights do. We do more bomb dismantling than, than bombing. That's great. And what what happens is people think, well, we can't, you can't cross that line. You're going to be in a bomb. We say it's not. It's there's not a bomb here, and we realize a lot of people think it's a bomb, but no. But that's there's that's Oz behind the, the curtain. There's no bomb, no bomb at all. Here, come watch this. Pull the curtain back. Let's dismantle this thing. You're marginalized. You belong. You belong in this community, and we're with you. And we like you. We're not doing this because. Uh, we're looking down. We're not. We're not big brother, or big yeah. sister, helping yeah. little brother. This is eye to eye. You have agency as one made in God's image, and you're just like me. And I hate you being left out. Come join the party. So I think that's a great image that you just shared. I would like to hear a little bit about both of y'all's wisdom in terms of some advice that you could offer. First, just advice to other type eights, other people who share your enneagram type. Mm, that's good. I would say I spent a lot of my life being an unhealthy eight and saw the damage that came of that. And so I'd say to eights is the motivation to get well. There's a huge upside to that. So I think unhealthy eights have the capacity for great, great harm. And I think healthy eights have the capacity for great, great good. And so what I'd say is if you find yourself as an eight, you're the butt of everybody's joke as an Enneagram eight. It may be because you need to go to get some really good counseling and get well. Mm. Um, But for those of you who are female and eight and have the unfortunate and fortunate privilege of being an evangelical white culture, we need you. We really do. We need you. We need you to be all that God's created you to be because the the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. And so I would say use your strengths to the fullness that they are and jump in the game with us and figure out where you can serve and and be strong. I would say, I would guess I would give a different answer for, for guys that are eight and then for, for women that are eights. I think for guys that are eights, I think we have to realize that sometimes we're a lot more powerful when we're not as loud. And by powerful, we're more influential because eights really like to influence people. And so it's really self-gratifying to influence people, but you don't have to be loud to be really influential. Yeah. So I would say to guys, listen more and realize that your, your influence will probably be stronger. And for women, I think what I would tell them is that you are influential without saying a word. You do not need to create influence. You are influential. That's why people are giving you a hard time. Mm. Mm. So don't look to gain influence. You already have that capital as you walk in the room. Shoulders back, head up. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I have a question, and it might not go anywhere, but it might go somewhere. You, you described in your experience a time of unhealthy eight to a time of healthy eight. Was there a moment where that flipped? Is there a, a realization? Not saying I understand that this is all a process. Yeah. But is there a real realization that you had to make for yourself to, mm. to walk into healthiness? 
Yeah, I think um, I think the capacity for unhealthy eights is that we tend to end up in codependent relationships because of the need for control. And that's very much what for me. So I never had a lot of friends. And even now, I don't have a lot of deep, deep friends because the loyalty runs very deep to a few people because mm-hmm. you can't save everyone, but you're going to save your people. And so because of that, I think what I, I would say, I was in my mid-20s and there was just kind of a moment of, Okay, I seem to really need too much control and I seem to really need only a few people and that's not good. And so there was this realization of, I think that I'm meant for more, but I don't know how to do it because I'm constantly managing a few relationships by trying to be this person's everything. Yeah. And so that once that realization happened, then it became became the work of counseling and reading, praying, meditating, asking God to shape and, and mold, and then being reparented by some great folks here in Dallas and all of that. But yeah, it was the, um, I think God wants me to do more. I have a lot of energy. Why am I spending all my energy on this one, two or three relationships? And Mm -hmm. so, um, and then watching the people that I'm spending all my energy on shrivel rather than grow. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's what I mean by the capacity for harm. And so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I would say. I appreciate you being open with that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Hoping that type A2 who listen can, can, view that shift and make that for themselves. And the other question I would have for you both would be on the flip side, what advice would you have for people who are in a relationship with a type eight? Yeah, it's so good. We really do love being challenged. I know that sounds so crazy because we speak so authoritative. Let me say this. I think, I think what happens is so funny when people will be like, I don't like sixes. I don't like sevens. I don't like whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, then you probably met an unhealthy one. Like that's right. And so oftentimes you're like, I don't like eights. I'm like, well, I don't, I can't, I don't like to speak for all the eights. Right. And so I'm sure you've, I'm sure people do meet eights that don't like being challenged. I'm sure we're out there. And I'm sure not every moment that I've ever been challenged. I'm like, oh, thank you. But I will say like the people in my life that I am crazy about are the ones that are like no you're dumb or go take a walk or that's not even right and or they're just like that's just not gonna be nice she'll stop she'll get off her soapbox in five minutes just let her rant and rave and punch the air and she'll be fine and so that's what i'd say is if you're in a relationship with a i would say that we really do like being challenged and then the other side of that is we really are tender sensitive people with you know that are fully capable of um, the level of love and care and intimacy and letting our guard down. It just takes a lot for us to do that. And so I'd say uh, if you're one of those people that's on an eight inner circle, just know that that is not it. We don't come by that easily. And so when we're doing that, that's our way of showing you the best of what we can give you is when I let my hair down, so to speak, to the few people that I do, that's my way of saying, hey, like, I, this is me showing you, I really do love you and care for you. And I have all the ability to be weepy and kind and lovey and mushy. And I think people who do have eights in their lives that they're actually close to would, would probably say this about mm-hmm. us of like, there's the teddy bear effect for real. And I, I mean, like I see it with Martin and his family. So I know that he has that as well. We were so like, um, eights love to be challenged as long as it's an honest challenge. Yeah. And even if it's a stumbling challenge, we will say, oh, keep going. That's so good. I need to hear that. And also, I think what's if, if you're in a relationship with an eight, what, what is surprising to people is there's a peculiar kind of loneliness that eights experience that is hard for people to understand. Because eights tend to find, as I said earlier, if there's two choices, they'll, they'll pick the four. Mm-hmm. People just assume they're always going to be okay. And if you're always okay... No one really checks up on you to see, are you okay? Mm-hmm. They just assume you're, we're like a cat. We're always going to land on our feet. And whether you drop us at two feet or 50 feet, we're fine. 
there's a peculiar kind of loneliness to be assumed like that. Yeah. That we don't have we don't have the conversation to say, gosh, I kind of feel sorry for you today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one ever says that. And so you feel kind of weird. You don't feel more human. You actually feel subhuman at times. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, people think, oh, you must yeah. feel like Superman, like a Nietzschean right. Superman. No, you feel like an orangutan in the zoo. Mm. You're fenced in. You're not part of you're not part of the community of people. Right. Yeah. You're just a large, really cool beard and hair orangutan. <laughs> like but this you're is not, more yeah. for men. I don't know. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're yeah. not, you're just, yeah, we're just, a not, piece, even if you we're have, a different other. We're not yeah, the similar right. other. Yeah. And yeah. even if you have a, a an extra measure of strength that you bring to things, that doesn't mean you're, you're immortal or, right? Like you don't want to be, it would be sad for us who aren't eights for, to discover our eights limitation, our friends, our families, eights limitations when they burn out. Yeah, like that's yeah, a yeah. bad that's time yeah. to, yeah. you know, yeah, to I'll then g- be supportive. I'll give us, yeah. uh, uh, for instance, when eights begin to say, I really, I'm concerned. I'm actually a little scared. What people that know us or love us will say, well, you got this. Mm. You're going to take, you're going to, you're going to do great. You always do great. That's not what we need to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes you need to hear, oh, I mean, you're really concerned. Yeah. And I'm really tired. Yeah, our ounce of vulnerability is other people's pound. And so... Mm. Yeah, and so they they say, but you're going to do fine. But we have, again, they can't even relate to it. Like, well, but that won't last very long because you'll you'll do better later on. And that's not what we're saying. We're just... Yeah. So it just feels lonely. It's really good. I feel like I should, I just have to talk. When we ask, when we have needs and we express them, just the amount of energy that it even took for us to do that. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the things I've learned is like, I don't ask for a lot because I don't need a lot. And then, you know, I'm fairly competent individual. So is Martin. And so, and I think that's just kind of shared. So when I finally get to the point where I'm like, hey, it'd be really great if you could do this for me. If people are like, Oh, I'm 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 kind of busy that day. Can I? I'm like like everything. Like I can watch the bars go. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, oh well, right. conversation's done. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I'm yeah. never asking you again. Which healthy people eventually be like, hey. But that's why I've had to like even train my friends to be like, hey, when I ask for this, like that is a huge moment in our friendship. Don't miss that the mm-hmm. next time. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, got it, got it. And so, um, and because I think that's the gift that we can exactly. bring is like helping people learn how to love us because we can be difficult to love. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's really, really helpful. Um, and thanks, guys, for just being open, for sharing your stories, for helping us talk through this. I think this has been really, really, really good for me just to hear a little bit more about it um, and hopefully for everybody else as well. Yeah, so to our listeners, we are reaching the end. The end is nigh. (laughs) So ominous. We have the Uh, type nines next week. This is Um, the final countdown. Then type ones the following week. Um, And something that Ben and I have been talking about that we would like to do is extend an opportunity to our listeners and also those who have been on the episodes to send us questions and we'll do a little something after all the other episodes are out just to kind of take some time to work through some questions. If there's specific moments in some of the episodes that you want us to unpack more, things that maybe you didn't relate with, you did relate with, any comments or questions that you would have, we would love to hear from you. And you can do that by... Yeah, I guess the easiest way would be to find us on Instagram. Uh, just DM us on Instagram. My... Instagram handle is Ben Larzi, L-A-R-Z-I. And mine is Sam. pretty much what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just send us questions. Um, we really want to make the next 
kind of seasoned or set of podcast uh, episodes just as helpful as they can be. So anyway, thank you all again so much for opening up and sharing with us. I've learned a lot today and I know that our listeners will definitely gain a lot from this episode. So we appreciate y'all. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Thanks, Sam. All right. See ya.